Hi and welcome everyone. This is a uh, Talking VTE podcast number 35 for the uh, 10th of July uh, 2012. And perhaps we'll uh, go around and do a bit of a check-in of everyone that's here. So we'll start with the face-to-face audience or the uh, here in Sydney. Uh, myself, Stephen Ridgway. And to my left. Hi everyone, Robin J. And perhaps Michael who is underneath Robin and Stefan, or maybe now I'm, I'm on top of them. I'm here in Adelaide. Hi. Kerry <laughs> <laughs> Jay here, speaking to you from atop Flagstaff Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Saw your chat. And Alexander Hayes, talking to you all the way from sunny Canberra. Well, fabulous. That's, we've got a good spread across the uh, country. Hello. And we're... Uh, trying Google Hangout again. So for those of you either watching the YouTube broadcast or listening to the uh, podcast, uh, welcome the uh, online audience. Tonight, uh, what has uh, triggered the, uh, the podcast is um, both Michael and Kerry went to the 2012 Moodle Moot. So we thought that would be a good uh, trigger to have a bit of a conversation about uh, uh, about goings on there, uh, and of course it was partly inspired by reading your blog post, Kerry, on on uh, uh, attending you. it. So perhaps we can uh, start with you and your reflections of uh, uh, Moodle. But firstly, yep. if I might interject, uh, this this uh, recording is public, and some people might not know what Moodle actually means. Yep, that's a good point. So maybe you can just give a bit of a, a bit of a uh, background to Moodle Moot and, and Moodle Kerry as well. Certainly, um, um, Moodle is um, what's known as a learning management system, and basically, what it is, it's a website platform. Um, that organizations that um, want to conduct training online can use um, to set up um, an online space where they can create individual courses and within each of those courses um, teachers can choose from um, a wide range of tools and resources that they can use with learners. Um, the advantage of a Moodle um, is it sort of works as um, a, a virtual virtual building as it were and within each building um, the course is, is analogous to a room in a building and the basic tools that Moodle has to offer um, range from interactive um, tools such as discussion forums and uh, which are asynchronous so they don't happen in real time um, they've got live text chat students can upload assignments they can take quizzes um, and teachers can provide um, all sorts of types of resources, um, document files, um, they can embed videos, they can upload audio, all that sort of thing. Moodle's been around since 2005, uh, or even earlier actually, I believe. It started off um, it, um, as a um, research project um, by Martin Dugiamas, um, who was looking into um, collaborative learning online. Um, so Moodle Moot is the annual get-together of people who use this um, learning management system. Um, I usually don't like um, going to platform-specific sorts of events like this um, because I think that e-learning needs to be about learning and, and teaching rather than the tools. But because Moodle um, has such a wide range of tools it offers, and every couple of years it's just good to brush up on what's going on, um, I went along. And my initial reflections on it, um, the conference as a whole, was basically that I've been going to these conferences since I got into the education sector in 2005, and I find that the value lies not so much in the individual sessions, um, because I can get information on the net in a variety of ways, but um, where I found the real value comes in is um, when you're networking. The stuff that happens between the sessions is, is generally the richest, most interesting bits. Um, so I found it really beneficial to talk with people outside of a session um, to really get at what they were doing, where the learnings were at, and where the learning outcomes were at. Because um, I don't know if you agree or not, Michael, but one thing I found in, in some of the sessions, particularly the case studies, 
is um, they didn't have an awful lot of time to get their point across and I felt like people um, I thought it would have been better if they'd been guided in terms of telling a, telling a narrative sharing a story so going with that this is the problem this is why we use this particular solution and this was the learning outcome after before we got this after we got that so I don't know if you felt that as well Michael um, but I, I kind of felt like the case studies um, it would be really good in future if people were guided a bit more as to what was beneficial for, to let people know because I found a lot of repetition and um, in a lot of cases people were talking about button pushing where I really wanted to get at the good stuff faster mm. I do agree Carrie and two things really I, I, I like shorter time slots because they were 25 minutes from memory and if you give people 45 minutes, they'll do exactly the same thing. They will spend the equivalent amount of time giving all this, what they think is really important mandatory information, but they don't, I think we've probably talked about this before, they don't get to the guts of the matter until about 10 minutes to go. So whether you give people 25 or 45, the same thing happens. And I agree, and it's not just a Moodle thing, all conferences really could do more with providing people with some guidelines on how you give a good presentation and it's that kind of thing that you're saying Look, skip through the background the context to get to the crux of the situation please because I agree but I I like the shorter sessions without wishing to be derogatory uh, were they higher ed uh, case studies uh, it was a combination, really. Um, probably the most interesting one I went to was the one um, where they they were trying to deliver some sort of simulacrum of e-learning um, in a prison setting okay. because they're not allowed to get on the internet. Mm. Um, so what they ended up doing with resources because obviously they they can't order in textbooks easily they can't have bookshelves in their cells is they gave them each um, an ebook reader filled with all the resources and tried to teach them um, a little bit about um, information literacy and searching by um, giving them tasks um, um, to do research on their ebook readers and I thought that was fascinating so how was that connected to Moodle though? Um, they set up um, sort of an offline version of Moodle um, in a central location that they could all access. Right. Okay. But I would have liked to see more too. I think peppered. I would have liked to see more e-learning peppered into there because there were some people. This is their first e-learning conference, and it was so focused on the tool that I felt like they missed out a bit. Mm. Michael, your session was really great um, to have that sort of break from it being very Moodle focused um, to, to have it have have it have more <laughs> of that big picture outlook. Thanks, Kerry. I'm really pleased to hear that because I felt like the conference needed that. Even when I looked at the program, I thought there's got to be something else apart from Moodle. <laughs> so I'm glad you got that point. <laughs> well, that's always, always. And I got I got really sick of the. Um, or you, the button pushing and I wrote in my I was in, kind of inspired I saw that you wrote a blog post and I thought damn it I'm going to write one too so I did <laughs> and I wrote somewhere in there halfway through the conference I really got tired of hearing the word Moodle I just, just wanted to hear about e-learning and good practice and yeah so e-learning e -learning, just <laughs> and I don't know I mean I might be kind of romanticizing the past but I I know that WebCT conferences had a lot of presentations that had nothing to do with WebCT and they were quite specific about it they actually cultivated parts of the program that were just about learning and teaching and this conference was too far in the other direction it was Moodle 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 and there was lots of good stuff presented in amongst it all but the focus was well like you said Kerry platform specific but there are other reasons to go to conferences as you mentioned Kerry I really like that point too that you made in your blog about um, people just everybody knows why we're there no one's judging you as being kind of weird or out there or you, you're, you're all there because you're using this tool or you're using e-learning you care about it you don't so in a way we're kind of in the conversations in the networking between sessions that's when you get to the guts mm -hmm. of 
of why you're there, and then you go along and watch these people in sessions waste 20 of the 25 minutes. Ironic, really. So, so yeah. do, do you think that the, the, was the content any different than it would have been at the same conference four years ago? I think so. I think that I, I definitely think there was uh, there's been some deeper thinking around um, uh, getting more out of it um, because Moodle, when used badly, is it can be very top down. Mm. Um, it can be very um, very prescriptive, which is, of course is the opposite of, of um, what Martin Martin's big vision was for it. Um, one thing that strikes me and has for a number of years is um, when you get to a certain level. Um, there, there needs to be more, and I'm not sure where where more is. But um, I, I, I used to think it was ISTE. I used to think, oh, I really need to save my bickies up and, and go to ISTE. But I, I saw the Twitter stream about some of the ISTE keynotes um, over in the states, and people were really slamming, body slamming um, the, the major the major keynote panel um, over it being basically a feast of crumbs. <laughs> So it kind of leads me to ask: When you get to a certain level, I mean, where do you go? Where do you go from here? I, I really, I want to keep improving. I want what to get. What about, what about? I know I'm not as good as I could be. What about Educause? Would you go better. there? <laughs> what about Educause? Educause? No, I would suffer from the same problems. You reckon? Mm-hmm. Like that what's, was my. What's experience. the other one that's on in, in October in the states? Just before Educause. Well, I'd love to go to South by Southwest, but that's a completely different, not, not necessarily to do with e-learning. <laughs> Pardon me, everyone. I've had a cold and I'm, I'm still recovering. So have we all. <laughs> the entire <laughs> nation. Mm. Ever since, half, ever since M- Moodle Man gave it to us all. <laughs> Moodle Man. <laughs> Moodle Man virus. <laughs> It's a good point, Carrie. Where do you go from here? (laughs) Well, maybe we need to think about having a different kind of event. And I know Alison Miller's got something in mind for later this year here in Adelaide. But I hate to sound elitist, but I do not want to have to go to another conference where I hear PDFs bad, interactivity good, you know, um, (laughs) um, you know, use alt tags, WCAG, anybody heard of Creative Commons? I want to take it to another level. How do I get there? And I've, I've, I've started and stopped a couple times now on um, my Masters of e-learning, but I just find it incredibly ironic that last time I had to drop out because, because the course on universal learning only had text materials and I was having back and neck problems. <laughs> back and neck problems, that's right, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, Melanie's well. just responding to your invite, Stefan. How? Was it under thirteen? Well, possibly she um, was back on Google. That's she might be in Google. Just no, try and he was see unwell you... when I talked to her a little while ago. So this is Melanie Dorian. Oh, wow. okay. Anyway, a little G message <laughs> popped up from so, her saying, so, oh, "I found you." Da, da, da. So was there was there anything at the Moodle conference? that actually um, discussed how to structure Moodle in such a way that it scaffolds or supports good teaching practice? Oh yeah, that was peppered throughout I think. Um, there, were, there, were, there were several presentations that covered that and there are people that are exploring it in various ways. AENU is trying to come up with metrics Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some sort of uh, metrics and come up with mathematical, you know, statistical formulas that, um, or objective criteria, which I thought was a really interesting idea, coming up with some basic objective criteria for what the minimum sophistication level, they called it, for their courses. So I think, yeah, I think there was a lot of that in there. I don't think it was just, it's not just button pushing, but um, I, I think... Like I said, there could have been and should have been a few more sessions just on on good online Design. education in general. Mm. Yeah, and, the, and I hate the term best practice, so let's just say good practice. Mm. Now, some of the people from 
our area who went to just a couple of people from our unit who went and one of the themes that they came back with was mobile 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 was that um, something that you you guys felt there too and uh, it struck me I just wonder whether really you know is is Moodle does Moodle have a mobile future or will that uh, just be somewhere different maybe maybe the LMS has come to an end with Moodle you know, and oh, it's big on their roadmap. Mm. Huge. Didn't you get that, Michael? I mean, Martin was, it was a whole big section mm. of his his keynote. And like I said in my session, I was really shocked when I went to Moodle on my smartphone and any Moodle 2 course just shows up beautifully Yeah. on a, on a mobile device. That's already there. Any Moodle, Moodle, Moodle 2 course just switches beautifully to, to mobile mm. format so and that's there just is there's through an app the, coming and all right so that's just yeah. through the browser michael it's looking yes. good okay yeah i think it, it's looking really good already just in the browser so and i actually said i i'd like to see what the app does that makes it better because the browser version already is very good well talking to the two that uh, went to moodle mood they're feeling was that really perhaps Moodle was going to abandon apps and go HTML5 uh, as the path for Moodle uh, mobile. So that when you when you access Moodle, uh, it determines the device you've got and, and renders it HTML5 suitable, gives you a totally different skin um, and that you won't that you won't use an app. Which, which Well it had there are two different ways you can go. There was a my Moodle theme Mm. Um, and that that basically gives you sort of um, cut down functionality, and it can auto detect devices. But you can choose on your device to switch back to you know standard Moodle yeah. and get everything else. Um, the Moodle media filter right now, um, and oh, I don't don't want to say this definitively, but I believe it com can convert things to Flash. I don't know if it's doing HTML5 yet. Um, but it's, I mean, accessibility and, and mobile is very much um, top of mind. And I also found it interesting that they, um, Martin really emphasized the fact that in the, the, the plugins area of the Moodle.org site, they've really cleaned that up and out. And now the only plugins you see in there are ones that they've tested. Well, that's good. And he really made a point too that with these um, these new iterations of um, of Moodle, that they have um, they've got some automatic um, programs that are running nightly. He said something like testing 600 different operations. Um, so they really want to uh, ensure that that code is stable and that the quality's there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, of course, the whole LMS, LMS space has really uh, contracted considerably over the last, uh, you know, few years, and Blackboard probably is still there, although, of course, the, the net spot... With the uh, mix, then you're just going to get a lot of button pushing and mm -hmm. um, a lot of top-down um, delivery. Looks like someone's just uh, joined us. Who's that? Oh, that my that's that's actually not someone joining us. That's my uh, iPhone just uh, switching off my video. But I do notice with interest that we've just up on the corner it says we have one viewer. So hi to the viewer. Uh, not sure who they are, but uh, welcome. Uh, not sure how you're viewing because I did invite this to specific people. But anyway, welcome. So um, can you fix the video? <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll go over and uh, just for note, I'm actually using the iPhone as a remote webcam via the Wi-Fi and it, it, it works for about an hour and then it just sort of um, switches off so I'll go and get that restarted to carry on. You've got your mic attached, don't forget the mic. <laughs> That's a Moodle screen, Alex, yes, good. So, yeah, through my phone, but I'm just trying to switch it into mobile mode or is it the theme that dictates my Moodle course? I'm logged in as the admin, what plugin do I need to activate for it to become a mobile 2? It's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's got to be on Moodle 2. It's got to be. Yeah, it is. I'm in Moodle 2. It's a Moodle 2 install. All right. But well. it's not switching to a mobile theme for some reason. It's still in. It doesn't have an option. I can't see one. That's interesting. Bright cookies certainly do. They switch immediately to. Well, mobile I, have a, I have a mobile theme installed in the admin area of ours. 
So it is the theme uh, that does the actual switch, does it? <clears throat> or maybe plug-in. I, I think so. Well, in Moodle 2.2 and Moodle 2.3, maybe it's um, automatically detect. Well, it'll automatically detect anyway and switch to the theme. But, yeah, if you just have a basic sort of thing you've just whacked up there and haven't done much with the theming, then that could, that could be part of it as well. Hmm. Because I can't get it to switch over to the mobile-based, you know, as you would expect it to see it. Shows you how backward I am on mobile and Moodle. <laughs> That's really. I mean, mine straight away. I just go straight to Broke Cookie, and it just comes up like it, I've got a heading at the top which says, "Well, maybe you can see that." I don't know. It, it just. I don't have any blocks showing, but there's a there's a. No, you can't see it. The camera's not good enough. Oh, maybe yeah, 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 we can see it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't see, see blocks unless I click blocks. Mm. Oh, okay. So instantly recognise it as a as a mobile format, without me doing anything. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So apart from going mobile, are there any other significant changes or directions or good things coming? Oh. Lots of good things coming. One of them um, I thought was really interesting um, was um, well, they've, they've done some they've done some significant upgrades in in certain areas. Um, like the file picker um, was a big one, a big change for them, and they're exploring um, ways of embedding um, um, audio and video um, assessment into Moodle, allowing students to record um, audio and video on the page. So I thought that was I thought that was really important. Where do, um, where do those files so, go to, save to, Kerry? Um, well, the way files are saved, it's um, they're, they're basically sort of mimicking, mimicking cloud storage. So um, Moodle, Moodle, Moodle 2 introduced the notion of a repository, whereas Moodle 1.9 and below, uh, file structure was fairly... Um, fairly similar to any other standard website you've ever seen, you know, with, with fixed URLs and that for files. With um, Moodle 2, they all sort of, um, the, the files are uploaded are relative to the activity or resource, so they attach themselves in a pretty hardwired sort of way to an activity or resource versus a file structure, and then they're pulled out on the fly each time you access that. Oh. Oh. Yes. Now we all notice Melanie has arrived. Hello, Hello. Melanie. <laughs> it is yeah, Melanie. Okay. I heard a lot of coughing see, going I can, on. See, I can see Melanie, Alex, and um, and Stefan, and Michael is just a still image. We can see you, Melanie. Yeah. It looks like you're in bed. I am. I'm. Si it's a very small house. There's not too many places to sit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very small house. <laughs> exactly. I hope you're not hearing too much background from the TV, which is in the same room. Designed by Ikea. But, uh, is the kitchen in the same room? The bathroom? Yep. No. <laughs> Nearly. So you're not in Adelaide yet, obviously. No, no. Which I was, I'm going to talk to you about. I don't think I'm going to make it, Michael. So it's going to be all yours, if you well, want let's it. Let's talk about that after. Okay. Yeah. We were in the middle of talking about Moodle, Moodle. Yes, sorry, new developments. Moodle, new de so I was listening to what Kerry was saying, trying to, to figure that. So please continue. I'll just sit and catch up with the drift. <laughs> Alex is looking like he's about to go caving or potholing or something. Uh, bank robbing. Yeah. I'm going bank robbing. <laughs> I said jewelry heist. Ocean's <laughs> 11. Ocean's <laughs> 11. Yeah, it's very Ocean's 11. <laughs> 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 well, it is minus two here, so. Look, just on a different note, read the conference and probably partly explains the the introductory nature of a lot of the sessions. The the crowd of people was surprisingly young. There were a whole heap of people, and it was fantastic to see a whole heap of people. I don't know, under thirty-five, I think, Kerry. At least 20-30% of the people were there, and clearly first-time Moodlers, so, you know, they're right at the start, and they were full of enthusiasm and wide-eyed wonder about mm, it all. God bless them. Including one of my colleagues. 
<laughs> I enjoyed the fact it was so international. Um, in the two workshops that I conducted, um, there were people from, I have uh, a lot of people from Fiji and um, New Zealand and Singapore. And was uh, that was really interesting that um, we had a good international contingent there. I don't That's know right. if it's because it was held on the Gold Coast and it just happened to be convenient or... And, oh, was, no, uh, and was there an even spread the across the sectors or was there a predominance? I, I think it was, uh, you know, you ask a higher ed person, they're going to tell you a hell of a lot of vet people were there. You ask a vet person <laughs> and they're going to tell you a hell of a lot of higher Schools ed people were there. Were there. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we, they were probably about 40-40 30 or 35-35. I think the numbers of higher ed and vet were pretty even with a sprinkling of schools and other. Okay. <laughs> there had already been a schools Moodle moot, um, what, uh, was it a month earlier? Okay. Yeah. What about um, just on the vet space? About private, private RTOs. Many private RTOs there. Yeah, obviously you. Yes. Well, the, I guess they're in the. You know, if they represented thirty-five, forty percent, like vet was about thirty-five, forty percent, mm. and then there were a large. I don't know. They were significant. Mm. In, so it wasn't just TAFE. Which was a nice change. Yeah. From previous Moodle moots, or just generally? At uh, just from previous conferences, I've yeah. been to. Yeah. Like most of the framework stuff in South Australia, it's ninety percent TAFE. Mm. The the difference in New South Wales is that TAFE has a very strong infrastructure in all the TAFEs here now. So, we've been getting fewer and fewer TAFE people at uh, strategy events. So, um, I've noticed that a, a really an upswing in private, and I'm not surprised that that's reflected at Moodlemoot. But it would be interesting to know where those TAFE people were coming from, whether they were from, which states they were from. And um, yeah, I'm I'm interested that the schools had their own. I think that's schools are huge users of Moodle, and it's not surprising. And I think it's appropriate that they have their own conference. I do too. Um, I I find it very difficult to find um, even online events, regular online events that pertain to adult learning. Um, you know, I I try to try to cherry pick out of um, what's available. Um, you know, like the people I follow on Twitter and that sort of thing. But but really, um, adult learning's just different. And I finding in the sector that I'm I'm in right now, um, family relationship services, which is a very niche section of um, um, you know community services. Um, yeah, I, I know it's different again. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's it is, and different. I think. In South Australia, you don't have, um, like, there's a lot more in Victoria where they have a very strong adult education. And there used to be a fair bit in New South Wales, but it's kind of the com community colleges in New South Wales have, in many ways, become private RTOs and are not, they don't have the same research base as Victoria. Um, and the other place I've found adult stuff is mostly in the higher ed sector. Yeah, same here. I'm going to a very interesting debate tomorrow night, Michael. I don't know if you're going to the um, the it's event tomorrow yeah. night about whether or not um, university degrees are overrated. Yeah, I would have gone if Is I'd that, been what, there. The so-called <laughs> IQ debate. Yes, yes. Well, it sounds like I might now. Maybe I can be Melanie. Hey, why not? It's sold out, so you have to be Melanie, I think. No, you you can't be. I didn't. Uh, I didn't buy a ticket, unfortunately, for that one. Okay. Well, where is it? Sorry, oh, Michael. Adelaide. Adelaide. Sorry? Adelaide, Adelaide Town Hall. Adelaide Town Hall. Mm. Yeah. But on that E of um, revet and higher ed, there, like you were kind of suggesting, Kerry, there's always this, you know, it's, it's kind of almost bitchiness about, oh, there's too many higher ed people, or there's too many vet people. But I found myself thinking, we have more in common than we do with the school sector. And I don't think there are sufficient there are sufficient differences but I think for practical purposes vet and higher ed could share the same conference because we we have the the adult as our client I think, I think you better get used to it I think that's coming <laughs> I don't oh, think they'll all be separate because I'm finding a whole lot of vet stuff really tedious yeah they won't be separate except sectors. it's still a section of the vet sector sorry Robin go on no, no, I was just going to say, I don't think there'll be separate sectors for much longer. 
Well, tax is supposed to start next year, isn't it? For that. There'll be a billion accreditation Tax is already there for higher ed. But one thing that's coming into VET is um, for, I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but um, at least for, for qualifications below or cert, or cert four and below, um, VET people are now responsible for basic literacy and numeracy skills, having to benchmark um, people for them and um, ensure that they're at a particular level. This is true, and it's kind of extraordinary that people are saying, what do you mean, we can't do that, where there's been a kind of assumption all along that that was being done, but seems like it wasn't. But you're right, Kerry, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. But it should always have been the case. Now it's going to be more formalised and people have to do that on enrolment. Well, we're we're looking into that. Plus, um, um, I was I was able to um, put my pitch in for testing and um, benchmarking for digital literacy skills as well, because I've I, there have been some situations I've had with students where I've had to teach um, people that are over sixty how to download a document, save it, rename it, Archive. edit it save it and upload it again. It, it took me half an hour on the phone with one person and, you know, I, I was all credit to them for persevering and they really felt empowered afterwards, but I was just kind of stunned that um, there, there are people out there that still have that, uh, that really need that sort of support in terms of digital literacy skills. Mm. Mm. Well, certainly the case in our organisation. Well, they shouldn't have ditched I think it's all right, really. literacy when they did, all those years yeah. ago. Yeah, well, I think it. the problem is um, people, people I, well, actually, I'm not sure what the damn problem is, really, in some cases. No, 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 um, I, I, I mean the sector. I mean the sector. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I just think of people like Jerry Harvey that for years, um, you know, gave jazz hands to um, online shopping, and then all of a sudden it's it's the Antichrist, mm. and he's shocked by it, and he, everybody seems to be shocked. Their market share is being taken away yeah, well, because look at the newspapers. they just. Something. I mean, that the writing was on the wall for that ten years ago. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, I think big organisations can bleed for a long time. They just don't realise that the world's changed, and you know. Um, okay. Well, that that brings us to the topic of the the, the higher order question that most of the provision in Australia of of Moodle for predominantly for higher ed, but also for many. Um, vocational based settings for a period of time before they moved into that more lucrative sector was NetSpot. And on the 14th of April, the 14th of May, they said that they had just over 660,000 users uh, spread between Australia, Singapore and Hong Kong. About a week later, they had sold out to Blackboard. So. Is there any ramifications from that? And did you see any sort of um, presence there in that regard, Kerry and Michael? Well, they had side-by-side -side booths. There didn't seem to be any obvious sparks. In fact, it all on the surface looked very chummy. And there was a session about all of this that I didn't go to. Did you go to that? It was a chance for people to kind of grill NetSpot about why they did what they did. I didn't know, but um, a friend of mine who is um, far more business savvy than I, she has an MBA, um, made the observation that um, it's really a good business move on their part because Moodle um, can serve as almost the you know the gateway drug, as it were. Mm. You know, so you can get people in with the with the lower cost of uh, Moodle because they don't have the licensing costs. And then if you wanted to uh, move them Scale to up. Blackboard, you could. And if not, then at least you've got them on Moodle. So it really um, it really gives them a position of strength, and uh, it also makes them less platform dependent and able to offer um, a wider range of services. So it begs the question why leading um, proponents of Moodle for quite some time have moved away to Canvas LMS. 
Um, Alex, I had an understanding, and Steph or someone, Mark, you might know, my understanding was that NetSpot have always supported Blackboard as a platform as well as Moodle, and so it wasn't that big a deal that, that they sort of took them on. Is that true? No, never heard that one. No. no. That's say that again, news, Melanie. That's news to me. Could you, could you say that again? Yeah. When this happened, you know, back in April, I, I, someone said to me, oh, it's not a big deal that they've been bought by Blackboard because they've always supported both Moodle and Blackboard anyway. Oh, that's true of NetSpot, yes. Mm. Of they NetSpot, had, had, the company yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, NetSpot. In the beginning, we had huge WebCT clients. They became huge Blackboard clients. And now a lot of those Blackboard stroke WebCT clients are moving across to Moodle. So that person is correct. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to put into the chat a an instructure compare Canvas to the rest of the cohort and see what you think. It's just in the chat there. So what, uh, just, what is this compare? What are you referring to, Alex, on the, about the Canvas? What was that you're referring to? Well, in structure, Canvas LMS is making a very fast move into uh, into Australia. Uh, it's been tested in, in quite a number of locations and my discussions with Julian indicate that it's something that needs to be really considered. If we're thinking of the, the you know, we've got no issue with the internationality or the jurisdictionlessness of uh, learning management and data management systems, um, things are becoming, you know, more globally unified. You know, if, if Google associates itself, uh, Moodle associates itself with um, with Blackboard quite closely now. You know, we're, we're talking about consortium level um, introduction to the learning management space. It's not, you know, there's. I think the. Well, the point I'm making is that I think that the learning management system is now a very porous um, structure. It, it's it's multi-dimensional, whereas it used to be a very contained, more hierarchical sort of state. I think it's moved far, far from that now. Mm. Actually, I'm not familiar with uh, with Canvas, so I might have a bit of a look at that after the podcast. But uh, I noticed it's very impressive. Written on Ruby on Rails, which of course is a platform that's more commonly associated with uh, web startups in Silicon Valley. So mm. it might be that's an architecture so... that plugs into the whole sort of social web and sort of contemporary mobile web uh, much more than say PHP. Certainly, a hell of a lot more than .NET. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the nature of um, yeah, I'm interested in the underpinning architecture that that is um, creating the porosity of of that learning management structure and how it is becoming mobile. And at that social media high ed thing I was talking at, I met a number of. Um, vice chancellors, would you believe it, uh, who actively employ people to tweet for them, and a number of vice chancellors who don't. And it's interesting to the, the dynamics of that. I, sh I need to find that article for you to just show you the correlation between those th third tier universities who are moving more towards the Canvas LMS sort of uh, mobile. Uh, learning management access, as opposed to those who are still still sort of implementing the legacy um, uh, course-based structures elsewhere. So, who, who, what uh, you interesting that you make that distinction between first-tier and third-tier universities, and you're suggesting that uh, third-tier universities well, are adopting this Canvas platform. Well, that that seems to be a target where of of where Canvas obviously because the others, the G8 and obviously second tier, ANU and and similar are part of the the top eight universities in terms of research particularly, and then the second tier like um, um, you know University of what is it Bond or um, Macquarie. Basically, I mean, yeah, there's, I guess the second tier are the universities of, from the 1960s, the Whitlam era. 
and the third tier are the ones that became universities in the Newcastle 1980s. Similar. Seen uh, these universities move. Hmm. I mean, I've, I've heard, a present, oops, heard a presentation recently where they said in the next 10 years, third tier universities will be wiped out in Australia. They'll just disappear. I'm not familiar with that term. Tier, the, tier, the three tier university system? Yes. Uh, it's, it's something that, that is, if, you know, it's all across the web, so you don't have to go far to find, to, think, to, to just type the question that's in your head into Google and you'll find it. Um, it's, it's sort of the distinction, it's really around universities that cater for large research data, large research data um, um, focus or others that are more based around teaching. primarily teaching and, and delivery and others that are more sort of rural or regionally um, um, located um, universities which offer you know hybrid uh, courses and also cater very well for very nimbly for switches and changes. In terms of people choosing where they go it can be a almost like a class system. <laughs> well yes. <laughs> like the Ivy League in the state. It is yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is very much like that. Mm. Well has anyone seen the um, what's that video that's getting around um, the one about the future of higher ed where, that, where it basically um, predicts that universities will be basically obsolete or gone within a few years and it'll be more about these small it'll it'll all be online and it'll be these particular scholars that are able to attract people to come and um, teach with them in these large open moot you know moog type environments and uh, uh, it, uh, institutional based teaching and learning will just disappear and the only universities will be left will be the sort of sandstone universities that really cater to a highly wealthy niche market that want a sort of fraternal environment, they want the party scene, they want the, they want the campus life but basically beyond that uh, the university will be in an anachronism. That's kind of combining two ideas that Mark, well, one idea that Mark Pesci put up years ago, remember Robin, about going back to the ancient medieval or even Suffolk, um, the, 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 the early circles of philosophy learning of Sophocles, but where the students come and enter into discourse with the teacher. But mm. I just can't see that working. I think there's still going to be a need because people are... are work structures are so dependent on qualifications, our awards are linked to qualifications and I think people still are not ready and the quality of the learning isn't good enough to really engage them for long enough with a decent, you know, perhaps to get that mm. that decent education that's going to count in a workplace. It, it may eventually come, it may be, it may enter into the mix more like edX and I think everybody's sitting back to see what happens with edX which is the MIT Stanford arrangement. But I think, um, and besides, what the heck are we going to do with all those academics? They're no use for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? That there's this argument that's getting around at the moment that certification will be separated off from teaching and learning. So the institutions will simply become the mechanism to sort of give it that badge of quality and assurance that um, you know the quality of teaching and learning is there, but that the institutions will no longer do the teaching and learning. That'll sort of get outsourced, basically, to entrepreneurs. That's going to put a really hmm. yeah. That that's going to put a very heavy weight on authentication in that case. Hmm. And accountability. Yeah. I don't know. One trend I see, uh, well, they've been talking about it in the vet sector now. Um, and it's interesting because I think it's sort of an extension of how we buy things. Like, um, you know, 20 years ago, you bought albums because they told a story. And you, you respected that, that the artist was telling a story with the album. And for the past several years, people have been buying, you know, songs individually. And in the vet sector, they did some research into why a large number of people weren't finishing quality qualifications and it was because they were just after a few key competencies in the qualifications 
So I wonder if in the future people are going to be stitching together courses here and competencies there um, to get the learning that they want. And if there isn't going to be some pressure on learning institutions to um, be able to authenticate across them and to help people to pull all that together into some sort of qualification that you know can turn into um, you know better work opportunities or job opportunities for them. I agree with you entirely, Kerry. Insofar as that, I think that that is a future that a, a, an innovative RTO would uh, be very successful at. I think there probably are institutional. Um, constraints there in the way in which the vet sector is structured in terms of regulation, in terms of the way training packages are designed, etc. But I think that's what customers demand at the moment. And I think the industry wants as well, to some degree. I think in the nature of the current work environment is so fluid and so dynamic that I think the training package model and the qualification model is really not uh, working. No, and I agree with Melanie. For for certain things, you're always going to need, you know, a bundle of qualifications that say, um, if this person has this, you know that you know they'll be able to operate on you or advise you properly in this instance, um, you know, or fix your car. Um, but yeah, I think for for other work situations, it's yeah, it's. I find it within myself. I don't necessarily. I want to be able to put together my own learning. Yeah, and you should. And I want somebody to recognize the work that I put into that and um, give it a name so that I can go to people and say, "This is what I know," and they'll understand that's what I know. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think, in that regard, then, that the institutional LMS is socially weak? And what do you mean by the institutional LMS? I'm not sure I follow you there. Which is which is very different to say a community LMS or a a, um, a hybrid creative LMS or something that's not tied to an institution, but it's used in like Moodle doesn't need to be used to deliver courses. It can be used as an interaction point. Can be used as a personal portfolio. Can be used as a um, a personal website can be used in many, many different ways. I think Moodle is not a great choice for a portfolio or a personal website, in in my very humble opinion. I mm. think there are better. I think there are better um, and more um, visible um, aggregation tools out there. I find Word. I like WordPress for that. Um, course, you know, yeah. there's also Mahara does a better, much better job of Moodle than um, in that sort of situation. I, mm. I think Moodle is very fit for purpose, um, mm. but um, I don't think. I, I, I it, it all depends on how it's set up, really. I mean, yeah, it's like asking yeah. if 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 paper's useful still, I guess, because um, <laughs> within you know, if you're structuring courses, so they're one big long glob and you have to take everything in order to complete that particular um, unit of learning, whatever you call it, whether you call it a competency or a course or what have you, then, then yeah, I think that's going to have to break apart more. And I think maybe that will, if anything, it will um, make learning available in bite-sized chunks that people can complete in, in shorter time periods um, and stitch more things together. Well, seeing as people perhaps five years ago maybe had, they might have interacted in maybe, say, 10 or 15 different socially oriented activities online. You know, I'm talking about platforms here. And then over the last five years, the social media sort of explosions happened. And, you know, I, I've lost count of how many logins I have and how many spaces I'm part of and what are interconnected to what and how. And, and perhaps a lot of the push is on that the learning management system is rapidly dissolving amongst all of that social media um, service that's there. Well, certainly we, we, we're finding that students don't particularly like Moodle um, because it's not a platform that they encounter in any other context except it's part of their connection with their, our institution. Uh, and we're just, you know, we see teachers adopting Facebook as a sort of uh, engagement tool and it's really successful um, and they get a lot of mm. en engagement with the students it's because it's a you know I remember when Facebook first started to be talked about in the education 
context, and people said, "Oh, no, no, students, students, they have a, don't want, they don't want." teachers in their fa- their social spaces. Well, I think that's proved to be wrong. Um, well, um, the, fa- the Facebook groups have overcome that yeah. issue. Yeah, that, that's true. In my slide, slide 54 in that slide share that I put up from that presentation I did. <laughs> slide I, 54? I thank you. 54, yeah, my 54. god, man. Yeah, it's right. That's 54 clicks, Alex. <laughs> 54 clicks through, but you'll find all the 53 previous very compelling. <laughs> you, you, can tell he's a, you can tell he does a presentation at a higher ed conference, can't you? It's sort of death by... Yeah, <laughs> death by PowerPoint. Death by PowerPoint. No, it, was what, it was what I was... See, what I was saying had nothing to do with the slides. That was the good part about it. So... 54 says, well, I, you know, thankfully there, there won't be a one-stop shop. Facebook will never be a, the single option. There are so many oh, yeah. That's uh, right. social media. That's right. It's got to be a sweet Come well, on. Look, look at Facebook. Facebook is MySpace is whatever. Yeah, well, look at Yeah, this. but I talked to a friend of mine who's a high school teacher who, um, when we talk about the digital native immigrant, you know, all creative children, all this, she, she laughs and snorts and said all they want to do is update their Facebook status. They don't want to create. They don't have a burning desire to express themselves. They just want to get on Facebook and share George Takai's latest photo or tell people what they had for lunch or you know, or share um, a joke or use a song lyric as their next status. She said, you know, in some ways she almost weeps for the next generation of people that are coming through the web because there's bloody Facebook. <laughs> Did you know Tom Cochran, who was the final speaker at the Moodle conference said I'm just trying to find the actual stat I found it really hard to believe it's like I you know did I really hear that he said 96% of New Zealand students polled have not created or uploaded a YouTube video these are higher ed students 96% of students polled and I've just written to myself find this hard to believe did you hear that Kerry 90% is what I heard overall okay but yeah that that, how do you verify that um, well, they're the ones that he surveyed. So I'm sure if you get in touch with Tom, he'd share with you his um, his data collection, um, you mm-hmm. know, methodologies. But he, mm-hmm. he was shocked by it too because he wanted to believe this brave new generation of people who grew up with all these easy to use production tools were just going to be so incredibly creative and collaborative, and they're not. They're consumers. Mind you, New Zealand's always a little bit behind. Oh, <laughs> Melanie! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just reflecting. Years ago, I lived there for six months, and that was back in the day when they couldn't import new cars, and they had the best kept forty-year-old cars on the road you've ever have seen. And everybody knitted because you know the value of the dollar was was nothing. <laughs> But everybody was really well read because everybody had a free university education, so they were terrific. But, they um, drove old real, cars and knitted and were really intelligent. They were. They were. They were sort of. They were. The, they were the inventors of the slow movement. They just didn't know. Slow but, cooking. Um, yeah, slow cooking, slow social was. It was a really, uh, really interesting society. That the bad thing in New Zealand now is they've just introduced massive fees for universities for the first time. University tuition is going to make a huge difference over there. But anyway, mm. so I, I didn't really mean it. I love New Zealand, and I was just having a Cash. joke. They're actually ahead in terms of vet in lots of ways. Polytechnic. Oh yeah. <laughs> Otago. All right, well, on that, that note, I think we should probably wind up the podcast. We're a little over the hour mark. And, um, just, Ready? Yes, yes, we are. Wow, that went fast. That went fast. So, uh, any just <laughs> any final uh, con- you know, concluding remarks on, on Moodle? Or do you, I mean, do you think either anyone will be going to the Hong Kong? Is that where the next moot is? I've been told. Uh, yeah, we'll well, I thought it be in San Francisco. Or... There's a research, Moodle and Research Conference coming up somewhere, but I don't remember where that was because I thought, well, I That would be, be Crete. That's, That's right. Crete, mm. and I think it's September, yes. And despite Is that because it's was... cheaper to go there? or? No, I think it's Martin's um, Greek connection. Oh, I thought it might have been an attempt to help the Greek economy. 
<laughs> sort of well, a, a moodle-led recovery or something. <laughs> there was also a rumour that there's going to be, despite what I was saying earlier, there was enough clamour at the Moodle moot, just the recent one, for a, a different and specific vet-only Moodle moot. And there's a rumour that there's going to be one in Adelaide between now and the end of the year, but it's just a rumour. Mm. Okay. Yeah, a mini Moodle Adelaide moot. Yeah, in a, I, mean, I just think, in a sense, and it's always been the case, LMSs are kind of incidental, you know? E-learning yeah. and good practice happens with or without them. And there was one mm. session that was, I just thought it was quite... Good call. I, I didn't know why people were laughing. A woman called Jenny Parker, who's a research, she's, a, she's an academic, and she's doing, she's running courses in Moodle in professional development in designing e-learning and she's basically got a mirror site that's open on, on the web and when someone said why do you do that she said because people don't can't get the stuff after the course is finished so I've put it all on the open web so that people have indefinite <laughs> access and I just wanted to say well why don't you just just do, do it that? on the open web that's right <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. one thing one thing um, we're discussing um, is is remembering that Part of um, e-learning is about lifelong learning. So um, I know there was a session I didn't go to. It um, uh, somebody, a colleague, told me about it. This person was talking about using Moodle as um, a, a place for alumni to come back and to store resources on. And I said, I don't want us to ever use our Moodle like that. I want us to use mm -hmm. tools like Digo and teach these people early on about social bookmarking and put all your resources out there. Mm -hmm. Mm, and I want to use hours. I want to use Vimeo and and YouTube for mm. videos and and SlideShare or Rocket Slide. I said because I want people to be able to find these things for themselves afterwards and build on them, create their own professional library of resources. And this co uh, my colleague said to me, but what about intellectual property? You know, what about issues <laughs> oh, around dear. that? Well, no, and it's a legitimate mm. question. And my reply mm. was um, I I asked her to reflect on the fact um, what MIT's doing mm, uh, you know right. putting open courseware out there and I said the value comes from you that's it right. is the facilitation and the assessment it's not about that, content where the value comes into it and if we if we empower people and teach people how to how to store these things on the web where they can access them if we build these lifelong learning skills these digital literacies into them as part of their learning then we're going to be releasing um, you know into the wild professionals that that realize they don't need to know everything they just need to know where to find it and where they put it well said well said True. well on that note we should perhaps um, end the podcast so I'll uh, thank you everyone Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye.